The Take What Serves, Leave the Rest podcast is sponsored by Prairie Care. You know, going through the process of getting help with your mental health can be very overwhelming. I definitely know that from firsthand experience. Prairie Care can help guide you through it and get you in touch with the help that you need. They've been offering mental health services to all ages in the Twin Cities of Minnesota since 2005. Whether you're looking for clinical services, a specialty outpatient program, or a more intensive level of care like inpatient treatment, Prairie Care has you and your family covered. Visit prairie-care.com to learn more. That's prairie-care.com. Well, hi there, and welcome here into this episode of the Take What Serves, Leave the Rest podcast. My name is Brian Pyatt. I am your host, and so glad that you are here. Um, I, I want to give you a heads up here today before we, we dive into and step into this episode. I um, want to let you know that we're talking about some things here today that can be can be very intense to absorb and, and listen to, um, especially if you're just not really in the space to be able to do that. Um, talking today about things related to suicide. And so... Um, if you know that you're not in a place to be able to listen to that right now, um, I just want to let you know um, that, that that's the topic today and and encourage each and every one of you out there to take care of yourself um, and, and and just want to make sure that you know kind of what we're, what we're touching on here this week. So uh, whether you keep listening or not, um, just encourage you to take care of yourself um, as we as we go through this episode and um, and, and really be gentle as we as we kind of touch on this topic here today. So, you know, I'm not sure if you have had the opportunity to hear the the story of Ohio State football player Harry Miller. Harry Miller um, was on the Today Show here this week and has recently made headlines as he has announced that he is medically retiring from, from football. A guy that's at the, the, what from the outside looking in is, is really the, the pinnacle of, of any athlete um, at that stage, playing at a, at a major school, major college football program. Um, and, and Harry has opened up sharing that, um, he has struggled with his mental health getting to the point recently where he, um, considered taking his own life. And he was, like I said, on the today show here this week, and he, he looked directly into the camera at, at one point in the interview and said this to anyone out there who might be struggling. And it's so hard. I realized the weight of words when I was um, when I was when you're preparing to not be able to say words anymore. You realize how important your words are, and even now they feel so clumsy. <laughs> Speaking about it now, and I would just say, um, hope is just pretending to believe in something until one day you don't have to pretend anymore. And right now you have all the logic, all the rationale in the world to give up on it. 
but I'll just ask for 10 for a little bit. And then one day you won't have to pretend anymore and you'll be happy. And um, I'm just so grateful. And I, we had a crazy debacle trying to get back from Nicaragua. We, we flew in and I sat next to this mother named Sadie and a beautiful boy named Ivan. And it shattered me because I realized how easily I would have given that up. Mm. I'm just so grateful. And I would just ask to keep pretending. And then one day you won't have to. And you'll be so glad that you did. Um, and that's the only advice I think I could muster. Powerful words. Mm. Really, really, really powerful to listen to and, and to watch Harry um, be so open. On, on such a, a public stage about about what he's gone through and and an athlete who is from the outside looking in really at the pinnacle of of college football right playing at a at a major program and um I know that that him sharing and him being open and real about what he's gone through um, is gonna help a lot of people a lot of people out there. And so on, on this episode today, um, we're going to go into the topic of suicide a little bit deeper. And as I said at the top of this episode, this is a really tough subject to talk about. It can be a really um, scary subject to talk about. Um, and... I, I really feel like it's important for us to, to lean into the conversation um, a little bit more because um, we just continue to see so many stories in the headlines and stories potentially of, of people that we know um, who, are, um, who are dying by suicide and, it, and, and it's heartbreaking. And so the intention of this podcast here today is to hopefully give, um, give us the tools in, in how to ha- have conversations with people who might be um, feeling suicidal. Um, how, do we, how do we talk to people in our life who are worried, maybe struggling with this? Um, and and how, do we, how do we get them help? Those are, those are some of the things that we're going to be um, exploring in this episode. And to, to help us with this and, and to um, give us some insights, we have Dr. Josh Stein with us. Um, Dr. Stein is a child and adolescent psychiatrist, works at Prairie Care here in the Twin Cities of Minnesota, um, works a lot in the partial hospitalization program, at, at Prairie Care. And, and Dr. Stein has been trained in something um, that I had actually never heard of before I had this conversation with him, um, an approach called QPR. QPR. And he will talk much more about this in the episode, but it stands for Question, Persuade, and Refer. Uh, a three-step approach that's out there to help us help people in our lives who who may be struggle who, who may be struggling and and need our support. 
So a few things that, that we touch on um, in this episode, like I mentioned, how do we talk to someone that we're worried about? How do we open up that dialogue? That can be a really scary thing. Um, what can we do to keep loved ones safe who, who may be suicidal? Some, some really, really important information there that, um, that Dr. Stein talks about, and, um, and we cover much more as well. So I'm very, very grateful to Dr. Stein for taking the time to, to connect and chat and share this information with us. Um, again, friends, be gentle with yourself as you listen to this. And if you need to stop, pause, take a few deep breaths, um, and then return to the conversation when you're ready, um, I, I encourage you to do that. So um, here is my conversation with Dr. Josh Stein. Josh, what do you, how do you describe to people like what you do? Like what's your title here at um, Prairie Care? Sure. So I wear quite a few hats here, um, but my main job and one of the things I really love, I work over at the partial hospital program Mm -hmm. um, at the medical office building at Prairie Care. And I'm kind of the lead doc of that program over there. And partial hospital is kind of unique, um, but it's when somebody either doesn't need the four walls of a hospital 24 hours a day, or they're just leaving the hospital and they still need a lot of care. Mm. And so we've seen this like shift where hospitalizations are shorter, but that doesn't mean kind of treatment's done, especially in psychiatry. And so we offer kind of a school day based program. So about, you know, 8.30 to 3.30 where um, kids can come and continue to get support from a medical model. So doctors, nurses, therapists, psych techs, um, education, art therapy, uh, process groups, yeah. um, diagnostics, whatever they may be. And it's an opportunity to kind of continue to get care even after leaving the hospital or for kids who are safe enough that they don't need a hospital. Got it. And, and you've done a lot of work, as I understand, around suicide prevention, suicide training. Can you kind of explain that to us? Yeah. So, you know, our field, we start seeing patients when they come to us but there's so much going on before they reach our doors. And so I was really lucky to connect with the Minnesota Medical Association. And they supported me in getting trained in something called QPR, mm-hmm. which is question, persuade, refer, which is a CPR for people who are suicidal, yeah. as well as CALM, which is counseling against lethal means. Um, and those are both methods to try and keep people safe. Yeah. And my goal as an educator is to teach this, not just to doctors, nurses, therapists, but to teach it to the lay community. And to try and create like gatekeepers who can protect their community, look out for them and help people get help when they need it. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, as, as we dive into this conversation, obviously just the word suicide can, can carry a lot of weight with it for people. It can be kind of a scary thing to, to dive into and to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, do you see that a lot in this work? Yeah. And so you know, a little bit of a worry about having this on a podcast is when we do trainings, I will just sit there after and kind of talk to people who walk up and want to talk about it. Yeah. Because we have all been touched in some way by this. And sometimes it's very close, personal, family. Sometimes it's a friend. Sometimes it's a step past that. Yeah. But as you're doing trainings, you know, people start to have hindsight. And they start to see areas maybe they could have intervened. And, and whenever we have a tragedy befall us or befall a family, we want to understand what happened. We try to understand it. And the biggest thing I say when we're learning about these skills is, you know, 
you can't feel guilt or shame. And, mm-hmm. and even though these horrific things happen, if you're learning a new set of skills, we would never expect you to be able to you know, go back in time and implement them. Yeah. But be that as it may, it's a very serious subject. And so, you know, whether it's virtual now and, in, in, you know, given the current pandemic or whether it's in person with these trainings, the goal is to really hang around, talk through things, plan things out, make sure there is good support yeah. um, for survivors. Um, do you work often with people who are, are suicidal? Yeah. I mean, so the, the field of psychiatry, the field of mental health, and, and many of our patients are experiencing kind of chronic suicidal thoughts or mm-hmm. have had acute stressors that have led them to, to feel like life is not worth it. Yeah. Um, and so it's often what kind of leads them to our doors. And the unpacking of that is kind of what happens to understand what has gotten to the point that life doesn't feel worth it, even at a very yeah. young age. Yeah. How, um, how do you tell if, if somebody is, is suicidal or, or, or what are the, I mean, I know that's like a huge question, but, um, how do we start to kind of notice these things in, in the people around us? Sure. So, you know, we have warning signs and we have clues, but yeah. to be clear, there's never an exact science yeah. and, you know, we have to really know someone personally to pick up on their clues, but there are some really direct ones. Mm-hmm. So at times people will say very direct things like, I wish I was dead or I I wish I wasn't alive anymore. Or if I don't get this job, I'm going to kill myself. And it's just, it's right there on the table. Mm. At other times it's more indirect, right? So it's someone saying like, man, I just, I wish I could go to bed and not wake up or I can't take this anymore. Or I've just been feeling awful lately. I don't know if I can go on. So these are kind of these slight cues that kind of say, all right, a question. It's time to intervene and touch base and try and understand what they're telling us. Yeah. Is there any way to know, like, you know, people might say things like, oh, I'm just so exhausted and it'd be nice if I just didn't wake up tomorrow. Um, Like, how do you what do you say to people about how do we know when, when we need to actually do something about a comment like that or when it's just kind of a human being a human, you know, like, is there, is there a way to decipher those two things? Yeah. So when do you need to jump into crisis mode? Yeah. And and like actually do do something about it. So, you know, when you teach QPR, this question persuade refer, it's about how to ask that question. Yeah. And so when there is a clue and and there's other clues too, like, you know, a fall from grace or getting a terminal illness or loss of money or a bad breakup, you know, some of these signs that any of us wouldn't be okay if these things happen. Right. But it's like how to ask that question and how to make time for it. Mm-hmm. So the first thing you coach is, it's a really personal question. And if you're not the right person to ask it, so like if you're the teammate mm-hmm. and you hear somebody saying, man, I didn't make the, the team and I am going to kill myself. Like whatever it is, yeah. you're like, I don't know them. That's okay. You know, but it's a nice opportunity to find the person who can ask that question, mm. whether it's the coach, whether it's alerting a family member or a better friend. Okay. Yeah. The other thing is to set yourself up with plenty of time. Um, and so, you know, in the office, it's important to be able to send an email quickly and say, Hey, I need to push back my next patient mm. or I need, you know, I need space to do this. But in the real world, it's about, you know, it's not something to do during passing time mm-hmm. at high school. Um, it's not something to do while someone's walking to their car. It's about yeah. making time and space, but it's also not waiting if somebody is saying these things. Yeah. And then it's kind of making sure you ask it correctly. So it teaches us that you wouldn't want to say like, 
you're not going to do something stupid, are you? Because if you say that, you're kind of invoking that what they're thinking about, which they're thinking about it a lot, is stupid. And in fact, their beliefs are stupid and what they're going through is stupid and you're showing you don't want to listen. Mm-hmm. You kind of right off the bat have said like, not here to hear you. Yeah. Uh, another part would be like, you're not suicidal, are you? Which is like just begging really to hear the word no. Mm-hmm. And the person picks up on that like that and they know you're not really there to hear them. So we really talk about how to kind of in an open and kind way, ask it. Yeah. And so sometimes it's, man, you know, you've been talking about feeling exhausted a lot and, and, and kind of wanting to give up. And sometimes when people say that they actually are thinking about suicide, is that going on mm. and, and trying to be genuine and, and give time yeah. or, you know, we've been friends for so long and, you know, just your posts and your focus and the memes you're sharing are really dark. Mm-hmm. What's going on right now? And the whole goal of QPR by to create these gatekeepers is not that you're going to treat this person. You're not going to be their therapist, but it's to determine, do they need a referral to somebody who can help them? Mm. So. so it sounds like just being open and kind of approaching it with compassion as opposed to trying to shut it down or, or you know, kind of come at it in, in an embra- uh, abrasive manner. Right. Yeah. Right. And because people have thought a lot about these things, they're probably ruminating, overthinking about it. And yeah. if you, if you kind of show you're not open to talking about it, they'll shut it down pretty quickly. Yeah. And like what a really lonely place to be, right? If you're, if you're struggling with suicidal thoughts or there's things going on around in that, of that nature in your mind, um, I would imagine it's really hard for people. Like they don't know how to talk about that without severely alarming the people around them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what we see is almost everybody who's approached, who's in fact suicidal when they're met with openness and hope it, it offers them hope and it offers them the ability to start talking about it and get support. Mm. Um, and so it's a really, really important and valuable thing to kind of step in in that way. What motivates you to, to do this work? So that is a, that's a big question, man. Right. But um, working with young people who are struggling with mental health is they, they still shine and they're still dynamic and they're still vibrant and they've lost a bit of their luster and they find it quickly. Um, my, my wife would kind of, she's heard me say this so many times, but birth is truly a lottery. Okay. Hmm. And Many people, you know, from the get-go, whether it's exposures in utero or being born into like a generational atmosphere where they're underserved or there's trauma, you know, don't get a fair shake. And so a huge part of mental health, especially in young people, is trauma. It's being underprivileged. It's difficulties. It's institutional. And it's the opportunity to kind of help break through that um, is incredibly rewarding, incredibly fun. Um, and also kind of watching generations change and getting to know these kids is awesome. Yeah. So. Cause you work primarily with kids. Yeah. So I'm a child adolescent psychiatrist. So, yep. you know, I usually start seeing kids 
no earlier than five, but occasionally there's a situation where we do. And then I see kids usually through college. Okay. And then we start to shift towards adult providers. Are we seeing um, suicide among young kids? I mean, is that something that's, that's prevalent? Not really. Okay. So usually it's kind of pre-adolescent when those thoughts start to yep. make sense. Yep. From a developmental perspective, we see that kids don't really even understand death until like eight or nine and kind of the idea of permanence. Yeah. But at times, especially kids who are overly exposed to things, will put themselves at risk. Yeah. And so commonly kids who are talking about that at a very young age are upset about something or angry or they just, I wish I could be dead. Yeah. And it's more about understanding why they're saying that and why they keep going down those patterns, but they don't quite understand the, the reality of that at that yeah. age. I, um, I emceed a, a suicide awareness walk um, a number of, a few years ago now. And there was a, there was a kind of a wall that they had set up of pictures of people who had taken their own life. Mm. And, um, I was so struck by how many like young teenagers were on that wall. Yeah. I mean like that had never, I, I was just so just taken aback by that, that this isn't, you know, we think of suicide, I think generally just as something that impacts people that are older. And yet there are people kind of in that teenage age range that are, that are, suffering with this. Yeah. So I want to be careful here because I, I, I want to tread lightly, but many teenagers make very serious attempts, but also tragically there's teenagers who are really struggling it, but they're not completely trying to take their life. They just don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And at times, you know, if the wrong things are available to them at home, it goes from being a suicide attempt to sadly a completion and it can be incredibly dangerous. And so we talk a lot about when your child is overwhelmed, when they're depressed, when they're feeling suicidal, how do we make a safe home for that kid? And that's kind of this idea of means restriction. And so many teenagers will overdose on what's available. And if your cabinet is full of potentially lethal medications or combinations of meds, they're really at, sadly, a very, very profound risk of a real overdose. If it's full of, you know, vitamin C, you know, you can take kind of as much vitamin C and you just keep peeing it out to tell the truth. Sure. And, and so, but we still understand that this kid put themselves at risk. They were unwell. Yeah. And so we want to get past that point of yeah. uh, when the attempt is made to keep people safe. Yeah. Um, what other things do you think people need to be aware of around, around this, this topic? Like, are are there things that are maybe, um, myths about suicide, things that people just don't realize, things that people need to hear around this this topic? I think a huge one. And to me, until I kind of looked at the statistics and understood it a little bit is that if you remove one means people will just substitute another. Mm. And that is a myth. It's really been shown that if, if you remove one means, there's nothing else substituted. Um, and so there's some really significant historical examples. So like in the 60s, the leading cause of death in the UK was toxic gas ingestion from the stove or mm-hmm. from the oven, I should say. Mm-hmm. And they moved to a cheaper form of gas that was in fact non-toxic. And I don't believe the intent was to make it safer. It was just cheaper. 
And they saw that there was a huge decline in the suicide completion rate within the UK. Interestingly enough, there wasn't like a drop in the amount of people who were trying to attempt. It's just, it was no longer toxic. And so we kind of see that as, as things come, they, they, they don't substitute other things. There isn't other means substitute. It allows help. Mm. I think another really important fact to keep in mind is that about 25% of people will decide to attempt suicide and go through with it within five minutes. And another approximately like 50% will be within an hour. Mm. So if you think about that, 75% of people who attempt, that's within an hour. And so there's maybe not as much planning as we think. Hmm. There's also like, if there's not, you know, a gun available or toxic combinations of meds or, you know, car keys to crash a car, there's not something available to do it. They get over that hump and they get back into the, the grind and are willing to accept and seek help. Hmm. Do you talk to a lot of people that have like attempted suicide? Yeah, I mean it's a it's an important part of kind yeah. of what we do. Um, and one thing that kind of commonly amazes me, you know, especially with young people, is they attempt, but then when they come to us, you know, four days later, seven days later, ten days later, after an inpatient hospitalization, they're already looking forward to you know going snowboarding, hmm. you know, or they're looking forward to the holiday. They're still dealing with depressive symptoms and they're still in crisis mode to a degree but their future orientation has returned mm. or they're just like excited to watch like the next episode of supernatural yeah. or something like that. And it's like, yeah. So there, there is kind of this sus like suspended kind of awareness of like the permanence of what could have occurred. Yeah. And it is an interesting kind of challenge and we work to kind of help kids understand that. Yeah. Where do we refer people? So if, if we, you know, if, if we do have have somebody that we're worried about, and and I think you know we we take that that kind of compassionate, open approach to, yeah. to actually bringing it up with them. Yeah. Um, are is there is there like a next step there? Like, are there places that we should be referring people to? Sure. I mean, absolutely. And we shouldn't have to. You know, it, it is my job. It is the job of our therapists. It is the job of our mental health professionals to help somebody yeah. when there's a risk. But it is not like you wouldn't expect me to be able to, you know, fix the transmission in a car. But I can recognize when my car is not okay yeah. and it's clunking and making noise. And so yeah. all we ask is when you hear that clunking noise and that's, that you're able to question and then say, we need to get you into the shop. Mm. And so a big part of QPR is like to ask the question. And then to be persuasive that help is needed. Mm -hmm. And it's really okay to say, hey, I think we both realize things aren't okay. And I know you're saying you're all right, but dude, like I'm not a, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm not, you know, one of these people. I, can we just talk to somebody else who might know better? Um, and yeah. so, you know, and then once we persuade and someone says, okay, I'll get help. It's the next step. It's refer. Yeah. And the goal is to get to refer as quickly as possible. And so, you know, in our state, we have some nice opportunities. We have, you know, crisis stabilization services. We have crisis lines. We also have like the national suicide hotline. Mm -hmm. And then works, what works best for a lot of teens is the suicide text line, which is just 741-741 straight up the left side of your phone. Mm -hmm. um, and it starts with texting. And sometimes that's enough. And then it will move to like dialogue. 
and can move to an in-person intervention, but it's a really nice way to kind of get a toe in the water and start to get that help. Yeah. So, you know, usually there's some sort of a crisis intervention that occurs, um, especially when someone is actively suicidal. And then that helps bring people, do they need to go to an emergency room? Do we need to call the police? Do we need to just kind of wait for an appointment in a couple of days with yeah. your doctor? And I would so. imagine keeping that person with you while you're doing that? Or, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So okay. that's really important. Um, it's important to kind of pull in as many people as possible to bring community in, to let parents know. Sure. And often kind of once that stress is relieved, people you know may still feel really unwell, but they feel they can be safer. But that's where the crisis lines and other things can help plan that out, especially to help determine if that's the case or not. And so then the QPR, so it's question, persuade, refer. refer. So the R is refer. Okay. Yeah. So, so the, questioning with that really kind of gentle, kind of open approach that we talked about. Right. Right. Persuading, kind of letting them know that we need to get you help and right. then actually referring them to somebody. Yep. And okay. that that's it. And it... And it I think when we, we step into it and it's a crisis, it all feels very overwhelming. But in fact, when you kind of think of it as my whole job is to listen, say, let's get help and then help connect with the right person. And usually that would be a crisis line or kind of a 1-800 hotline yeah. in that situation. Yeah. What's... um. What's the biggest thing that you would want somebody to hear out there who's who's struggling with this? Like if you kind of had an opportunity to just reach somebody out there that's really having a hard time, um, you know, is there something that you would want people to really take away from this conversation? That I've seen over and over and over again, that with support, people heal, they get better, and they excel. And I'm finally kind of, in the point in my practice where I've been doing this long enough, the kids I saw at 14 are now 22 or I saw at 16, you know, are like 24 Mm -hmm. and kids are on wall street. They're in California. They're producing music and they learn skills and they develop, um, in that they can get through it and it is not permanent and things do change. The other part is, there's no shame in taking help and there's no shame in accepting it. And we're not always that good, especially in Minnesota about expressing ourselves. But if you take that small step and text that number or, you know, come in for an assessment, there are lots of people who will help support you and walk with you through your path. Um, and so nothing's kind of written in stone and there's always a time to intervene. Beautiful. Anything else you want to add that I haven't asked you about? You know, I just think for family members listening to this, for people who have loved ones who are struggling, the concept of removing access to lethal means. So a lot of times we focus on why people are suffering and why they're suicidal and why they're at risk. And if we can shift that in the home to how they could hurt themselves, and if we can take steps to remove the sharps and to remove the medications and to remove firearms, and I'm not talking about that politically, I'm talking just for the time being, for the safety of somebody in the home, Mm -hmm. it gives us time to get past that five minutes or that hour or that day where someone is actively suicidal and can get them over the hump and we can get back into treatment. 
And so creating a safe space is really important. Yeah. And to tell the truth, it's not that different than like, if you don't want to eat Ben and Jerry's, you don't have Ben and Jerry's in the home. You make it harder. Yeah. And many times families will say, but they'll think of something else. They'll do something else. And I say, do we want to make this easier or harder? Mm-hmm. And the whole goal is if we have enough obstacles, it makes it too hard and, and, and people often get worn out and they get past that five minutes or that hour. Yeah. A really like simple example is at times if some, if a family really needs a certain medication that potentially could be lethal, you can often buy the medication in they're like the little two packs where you have to like kind of twist and pull them apart. And so if you needed to get to like the 20 pills that would be potentially dangerous, you have to open 10 two packs. Mm. And often that's enough to dissuade or get somebody not to, choose that med and they would choose the, again, the vitamin C or something like that. And so obstacles are really important to keep people safe. Well, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. And and thanks for all the work that you're doing. It's great to be here. If people want to know more about this QPR, just qprinstitute.com, I would check it out. Um, Like our goal is it's not just to train docs and other things like I just, I've done lectures for teachers. I've done lectures for school captains. Goal is to train bartenders, you know, people who interact and can be that mm. gatekeeper. Can I give you one last like anecdote? Absolutely, for sure. Right, so, and this is from QPR. This is yeah. not my anecdote, okay? Yeah. But the whole idea, like if you were to have a heart attack, like without question, the safest place in the world for you to be would be the floor of a Las Vegas casino, okay? And the reason why is there's so many people watching everyone in there. So if you went into a crisis, they would see that happen, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's the eye in the sky, there's the pit boss, there's the, the person bringing drinks. There's, And all those people are trained in CPR. So mm-hmm. they're all trained on how to intervene and save your life. So that's definitely where you want to have a heart attack because you will be saved there most likely. Mm-hmm. Quick intervention, people know what to do. Yeah. On the other hand, like if you're in like an alleyway in like an, aban- like an abandoned area of a city, there's no one watching you and there's no one that knows what to do. Yeah. It's really scary. Sure. The goal of QPR and, and all these methods, and there's other ones, there's incognito, there's other things going on, but is that we create those eyes in the sky, people who can see when things are happening and people who have just enough skills to make the intervention that gets someone to care. Mm. Okay. And so, you know, Minnesota, we want it to be more like, you know, the... I don't know, the Palms Casino floor, like truthfully, but in terms of mental health. And so anyone who's listening to this and, you know, I really appreciate you kind of, again, getting this out there. And so people are interested. Let's get some gatekeepers. Let's blanket this town. I want to once again give a big thank you to Dr. Stein for taking the time to to chat here today um, and, and really guide us through a, a conversation that, that, as we've mentioned, can be really hard to, to maneuver um, and yet really, really important information for us to be aware of. Uh, if you are interested in learning more about this, this QPR approach that, that he touches on, um, you can go to qprinstitute.com to learn more. Um, they offer trainings and things like that, so you can learn more about that if you are interested. Also want to let you know that if you are struggling or you know someone who is struggling and you are um, in need of resources to refer them to or yourself to, uh, I want to always let you know about the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. 
Um, that is a number that you can call anytime free of charge. It is 1-800-273-8255. Um, you can also text um, 741-741. Um, that is also a, a resource that will, will get you in touch with the help that you need. So whatever brought you to this conversation here today, um, I hope that there is something from this that you can take away, um, that, that you find helpful and that you find useful moving ahead. Um, I know there's a lot of things that I learned, um, and I, I just want to um, thank all of you for being here and being willing to lean into what can be a really, really difficult um, and intense conversation. So as always, my friends, uh, be gentle with yourself out there. Um, know that, that this is always a soft place for you to land. That is really what I hope that this podcast community is for you. Um, and, and we look forward to, to chatting with you again uh, next week. So one moment at a time, my friends, and, and we'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.